6, verses 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God, and hello, everybody. It's good to see all of you and how Sarah and I have missed all of you for almost a month and a half. So it's so good to be back, and we're so so blessed to be able to um, uh, resume our duties here. And so thank you so much for encouraging us with your faithfulness in attending and also being ministered by the various guest speakers who came. And now, without further ado, let's bow our heads and ask for the Lord's blessing. Let's pray. Father, you know what we have and still are going through. You know the turmoil, the trauma, the troubles to which we are overwhelmed with at times. And Father, we come places like this place because first you command us to come, but you summon us in a spirit of love and hope. And Father, I pray that as we've come with all of the things that weigh us down, that you would help us to see the hope that we have in your son, Jesus, and then the words that he speaks through your spirit so that once again we could be assured of our status as your beloved children so that we could be empowered, we can be encouraged and equipped to go back out into the world fulfilling the mandate you have given to us of being salt and light, of being a blessing to this broken world. And now, Father, we pray that you would minister to us and that you would speak through the one who speaks on your behalf in spite of him. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, I once heard the story about a woman who for 30 years woke up two hours before her husband so she could shower, get fully dressed, fully done with makeup and perfume. Why? So that when her husband awoke, he would be once again ravished with this beautiful bride that he married all those years ago. You see, this woman wanted to ensure that whatever flaws, whatever imperfections that she may have had, she ensured that her husband never saw it or smelled it upon her. Now, I'm not sure if this is a true story or if it's an urban legend, but one thing I do know that if it is a true story, that would make this woman arguably the saddest, most pathetic wife in all of the history of marriage, arguably. And chances are those of you who are married or those of you who hope to get married would never want that kind of married life with your spouse because no one in here in their right mind would tolerate such a superficial, shallow relationship with someone who is supposed to be very important, very significant to us. We would never tolerate that. And yet here's what's so ironic. What we see so often in the church is that many Christians are willing to tolerate, even promote that same kind of shallow superficialness when it comes to their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of God. Case in point, how are you? How you been? How's it going? Chances are, as you've engaged the church community, you've been confronted with those series of questions. And depending on who you are, you've responded in one of three ways. First, there is the, 
I'm fine response. How you doing, man? I'm fine. Hey, you want to get together sometime? No, I'm fine. Hey, is anything going on in your life? No, I'm fine, right? You're just fine, and that's it. End of conversation. And then there are others of you who respond with kind of like the TV reporter personality where you just state the facts. You just go through all the different things that were going on in your life. You know, Monday I had work. Tuesday I had coffee with this person. Wednesday I took my mom to her doctor's appointment. And that's it. It's just a cold, detached reporting of your life that doesn't invite any further discussion, any further deepening of engagement. And that's really your hope, isn't it? That they would just hear the facts And then that's it. They wouldn't be interested to go any deeper with you. And then there are others of you who will respond to those questions with kind of like the gossip column or the or the critical editorial in the newspaper where you just want to gossip about all the latest, you know, juicy scintillating details of of your family life, of the culture. Or you go on your soapbox complaining about politics, about society. But here's the thing that you need to understand. These three responses I just gave you have one thing in common. There is no disclosure. There is no transparency. There is no open acknowledgement of what's really going on in your life, specifically the things that are troubling you, the things that are filling you with turmoil, the things that are discouraging you, the things that you are struggling and wrestling with, the things that you're burdened by. Okay? And in many ways, you and I, we imitate that wife who constantly wakes up before her husband, trying to display, trying to put up a front that is completely detached and distant, superficial and shallow. Now, of course, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we should be as intimate as a husband and wife in a home. But at the same time, I'm also not saying that we should go to the extreme of never engaging beyond just a pleasantry, I'm fine, or being a TV reporter, or just being a gossipy, critical person. Because if we do, not only do we frustrate the way God designed us, which is to be in each other's lives in an intimate way, but we cannot follow the command that God gives us in his word in our passage today of bearing one another's burdens. Yes, the Bible teaches and therefore God commands that we are to bear one another's burdens. But what exactly does that mean? What does that entail, and what are the consequences of what happens if we fail to obey this command? Well, those are the questions that I hope to answer today. And so with that in mind, three headings, three points that I'd like to share with you in today's message. First, we're going to talk about why bearing one another's burdens is necessary. Then we're going to talk about why we don't bear one another's burdens. And finally, we're going to end it with how we can begin bearing with each other's burdens, okay? Why it's necessary, why we don't do it, and finally, how we can begin to do it. Let's begin with the first point, why bearing one another's burdens is necessary. Read again with me verse 1 of our passage where the Apostle Paul writes the following, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Okay, so here from the get-go, Paul tells us why it's so crucial, why it's so vital, why it's so necessary that we bear one another's burdens. Why, Paul? Listen to what he says. Brothers... If anyone is caught in any transgression, or as another translation puts it, if anyone is caught in any type of sin, zero in on that key word in that verse, the word anyone, anyone. In the original Greek in which this letter was written, it's the translation of the Greek word anthropos. Anthropos, we get our word anthropology, and what it literally means is all of humanity or every human being. Now, here's the question. By employing this word, what is Paul 
telling us here? Well, simply put, he's saying that it is possible for every human being, for any human being, to fall into sin. That's what he's saying. And not any category of sin, not any level of sin, not any type of sin, but any type of sin. Notice Paul doesn't say, brothers, if the pervert gets caught in sin, or if the thief gets caught into sin, or if the violent murderous person gets caught into sin. No, he says, if anyone gets caught into any kind of sin. Now, do you realize what that means? It means it is possible for every person on this planet and for any person in this room to become a pervert, a thief, and a murderous, violent person. Now, some of you might push back like, wait a minute, Pastor John, what are you talking about? Presumably, we're at church and therefore we're all Christians. How can you say such a thing? Well, because Paul himself says it. Who does he specifically identify? Who does he specifically address these ominous words to? How does he begin verse 1? What does he say? Brothers. Brothers, as in fellow Christian, fellow brother and sister in Christ. Any person, including any Christian, is capable of a massive downfall, massive scandal, massive failure into sin. Now, When we understand this, we come to find that part of what it means of being a Christian is struggling with this burden that Scripture refers to as indwelling sin. You see, the Bible tells us that the Christian life is a struggling life. It is a burden life, which means when you tell other people that you are a Christian, you're also admitting that you are a person who struggles, that you are burdened with struggles whether it be sinful desires, sinful doubts, proclivity to sinful temptations. Take a listen to how one theologian by the name of J.C. Ryle, how he once described the Christian life. He says, quote, A true Christian is one who not only has peace of conscience, but a war within. Inward conflict is not proof that a man is not holy, and such people must not think that they are not sanctified because they do not feel entirely free from an inward struggle. Such freedom we shall doubtlessly have in heaven, but we shall never enjoy it in this world, end quote. What's he saying? He's saying if you are a genuine follower of Jesus, if you are a true Christian, you will have to contend. You will have to struggle. You will be burdened with this thing known as indwelling sin. And this is something that I feel that we must grasp because I fear that so often in the church we fall into the error of the thinking that once you become a true follower of Christ, you have somehow been inoculated from all the spiritual dangers of life and therefore you're immunized and therefore no longer threatened or in danger of falling into certain sort of sinful thoughts, sinful motives, sinful willing, sinful behavior that the common non-Christian person has to deal with. And if you are one of those people today, listen to what Paul says to people like you. You who are spiritual, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. What's he saying? He's saying it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 30 seconds. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 30 years. You and I will have to deal with the burden that will never go away so long as you're on this earth living in that body of yours with the struggle of the burden of indwelling sin. And here's the thing, folks. This burden 
is something that you as an individual are not capable of carrying by yourself. That word burden in verse 2 is a translation of the Greek word baron. Baron, not barren, but baron, literally means excessive weight. The closest synonym in our vocabulary is probably the word ton, which literally is a thousand pounds. Now, let me ask you, do you know any human being capable of carrying that much physical weight on their shoulders? No, right? Doesn't matter how strong they are. Doesn't matter how much weight they can carry. No human being is capable of carrying such a physical burden on their backs. So also, Paul would say, no human being is capable of carrying the spiritual weight of indwelling sin by themselves. You and I need a community, fellow brothers and sisters who can help us carry this burden that we have in the form of encouragements, in the form of counseling, in the form of accountability. Because if we don't, we will be susceptible to a major spiritual failure. It doesn't matter if you carry the title theologian, PhD, pastor. In fact, speaking of pastors, did you guys hear about this crazy news that happened a few months ago? Ben Zobris. You know who Ben Zobris is? The baseball, former baseball player for the Chicago Cubs, MVP. You know what he's doing right now? He's suing his pastor, the man who brought him to faith, the man who discipled him, the man who married him and his wife. Why? Because that same pastor had an affair with that same wife, right? This is news, isn't it? And yet it's not. Because we hear stuff like this happening all the time, almost to the point where it doesn't shock us anymore. And yet here's what's shocking about our lack of shock. We don't respond. We don't change our normal behavior. We keep maintaining our distance, our detachment, our shallowness with one another, even though we see the consequences of doing that. And here's the question. Why do we not engage each other the way Scripture says we should? Why do we keep such a superficial interaction with one another to where we refuse to bear each other's burdens. Well, that leads me to my next point as an answer to that question, why we don't bear one another's burdens. Skip down to verse 3 where the Apostle Paul says this, For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, deceives himself. Excuse me. Here Paul tells us the reason why you and I And the church in general, why we don't have a good track record of bearing one another's burdens. It's because of this problem that he calls self-deception. Self-deception, deceiving oneself. In other words, a person who habitually, chronically, frequently lies to themselves. Let me ask you, do you guys personally know someone who has this problem? Do you know someone who has this tendency to always be lying to themselves? If you would say, no, pastor, I don't personally know of such people, Paul would say, yeah, you do. Yeah. Look at the person in the mirror. And the reason why I know Paul would say that is because of who he identifies as those who lie to themselves all the time. Who does he say they are? Anyone. Sound familiar? The same word he uses in verse 1 that literally means every human being is capable of deceiving themselves. Just like any of us are capable of falling into any type of sin, so also any of us are capable of deceiving ourselves. And here's what's scary. You read the teachings of the entire New Testament, we come to find that this is the natural habitation, excuse me, the natural habit of the human personality. 
the natural proclivity of the human personality is to frequently deceive themselves. Which begs the question, what exactly do you and I have a tendency to lie to ourselves about? We just read it. Thinking we are something when in fact we are nothing. Thinking we are one way when in reality we are not that way at all. Okay? Now you take that and you combine it with what we just read in verse 1. You come to realize Paul's main idea in today's passage. And it's basically this. When you fool yourself, when you lie to yourself thinking that you're someone who doesn't have burdens that require the support, the encouragement of others to carry it, Paul says you are lying to yourself. You are claiming to be something that you are not. Because you're saying basically to yourself and to other people, I don't have any problems. I don't have any embarrassing flaws. I don't have really bad issues in my life that would warrant the need of other people helping me bear it. Because if you did admit that, you would be acknowledging something that you don't want to admit about yourself. That left to yourself, you are utterly hopeless. You are so helpless when it comes to your struggle and your fight against indwelling sin. In fact, you are so adamant against it, you will do whatever you can to act as if you don't have any issues at all. So you put up a front and you act as if you're contrary to what you really are. And as a result, what happens? The people around you see how you're vibing and they too behave the same way. Whenever a person meets another person who will not open up, they don't open up. If a person doesn't admit their issues, their flaws, the other person won't admit to their issues and flaws. And now you are contributing and creating a culture that is hiding from one another so that they can maintain a self-deluded way of life. And here's where it gets kind of sinister. We learn in our society that the best way to hide from each other and to lie to ourselves is to point out the flaws of other people who obviously, for whatever reason, can no longer maintain the delusion that they don't have problems. People who undeniably have embarrassing imperfections and struggles, right? Why do you think we have cancel culture today? Why do we live in a time and age where people are so adamant in reporting and promoting the downfall of other people on social media? It's because of this. It's because of our self-deception, how we refuse to acknowledge our true spiritual state, right? And the consequences of breeding this kind of culture is that it can have dire outcomes. You know, as a society, we've had to deal with mass shootings for way too long, right? And in many ways, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to identify one specific massive shooting incident as if it's more egregious or more terrible because they're all equally bad. But, you know, to this day, there is one particular mass shooting that still feels very fresh to me, even though it happened years ago. It's the one that involved a movie theater in Colorado where a young man opened fire on a bunch of innocent people who were watching a late night screening of Batman Begins, one of the Christopher Nolan series. You guys remember that? happened years ago, but the reason why it has stuck with me all these years is because I still remember the reporter who was reporting the incident on the news program that I saw the story on. The reporter said this, literally, quote, James Holden, the shooter, did something none of us would ever imagine, let alone be capable of doing, end quote. Now, when I heard the reporter making that statement, it dawned on me, he's just spitting back, he's just parroting 
what our culture says all the time, right? So long as you can point to someone who's obviously disturbed, so long as you can point to someone who can no longer deny that they have bad flaws, bad character, right? Then I can maintain the delusion that I'm nothing like them, that I'm not anywhere near the kind of person that they are, that I'm not capable of doing the things they do, and therefore I'm okay, right? But it requires you to openly cancel someone else for their own sins. Because it's only when you do that that you are spared of having to ever confess your own sins to other people. And as a result, it creates an environment where not willing to bear each other's burden because it requires the prerequisite of being openly honest about your struggles and other people being openly honest about theirs, you see? And we create this vicious cycle in our communities, right? People are lying to themselves, not willing to admit of their burdens and therefore asking help, creating a culture where people collectively don't do that, that results in people becoming so disturbed, so discouraged that they're willing to have affairs with married women and open fire in a movie theater killing innocent people. So here's the question. Is there a way in which this vicious cycle can be broken? Is there a way in which we can truly begin this process of healing known as bearing one another's burdens? The Bible says, yes, there is. And this leads me to my final point, how we can bear (coughs) one another's burdens. Let's now read verses 4 and 5 where Paul writes, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. Now, when you first read this passage, you might come away confused because it sounds as if Paul is openly contradicting himself because in verse 1, he says, it is vital that we bear one another's burdens. But then in verse 5, as I just read, he says, but it's up to everyone to bear their own load. What's going on, Paul? Why are you sending us mixed messages? Are you confused? Are you contradicting personality? Are you losing your marbles and going crazy? What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. One more time, verse 4. Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast (coughs) will be in himself alone and not (coughs) in his neighbor. Here Paul is begging us. He's imploring his readers, (coughs) excuse me, to not be as boastful and to not be as prideful in the way that we normally boast and are prideful. Again, Paul is imploring us and he's begging us to not be boastful and prideful the way we normally become boastful and prideful. Here's the question. How do we typically become boastful and prideful? Do you know? It's by comparing ourselves to other people, right? That's exactly what cancel culture teaches us, right? What I just mentioned in the second point, the previous point. So long as you compare yourself to people who are obviously, undeniably broken, perverted, lost, disturbed, embarrassing flaws, then I can believe that I am nothing like them and therefore I can carry a false sense of superiority to where I can boast in it. I can be prideful. And yet Paul says, if that's how you become prideful, if that's how you're going to be a boastful person, then you're an idiot. You're a fool because your pride is an unfounded pride. It's based on a lie of what you are really not, right? Instead, Paul says, if you really want to boast, if you want to be proud in a God-honoring way, in a righteous way, do it another way, which is how. He says, test your own actions. 
Test your own actions? Yeah. When you take a test, it's designed to reveal what's inside of you, right? A student takes an academic test to reveal whether or not he has knowledge that's correct. When an athlete tests or tries out for a game or a team sport, it's to reveal whether he has the skills, whether he has the character, where he has the wherewithal to do well on the team. Tests are designed to show what is really within you. And Paul says, test yourself in terms of your actions. Look inside of what drives, what motivates, what inspires, what encourages you to do what you do. When you do that, Paul says, then you can be proud, then you can boast in a righteous way. But there's a problem with that, Paul, because what you're saying is we need to look what's inside of us, but that's the very thing that we want to lie to ourselves that is not there, because what is inside of us? Embarrassing flaws, right? Perverted desires, ridiculous beliefs. Paul, how can you possibly say that we are to look within when it's the very thing that we don't want to acknowledge, lie to ourselves that we don't have, and keep up this belief that we're okay? Paul says, because. That gives you the opportunity to boast in the thing that God does in response to your brokenness, which is the gospel, right? What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that says that God loved us so much that he came into the world to become a moral human being, Jesus Christ. Why? So he could suffer the full penalty, the full punishment that all of that ugliness inside of you deserves. All that ugliness that you pretend is not there, that you lie to yourself isn't there. Jesus died on the cross as your savior substitute, taking your place to where essentially he was canceled on your behalf. And because that is true, do you know what that means? It means all the things that you normally pretend is not there, you can honestly take an honest look at yourself. You can face it with sobriety. And you can admit and you can acknowledge that it's there. Not in a sense to be embarrassed by, but to show what God has done in response of those things. This is why Paul, the apostle, says later in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I will boast in my weaknesses. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak in my flaws, when I see perverted desires, when I see immature doubt, when I see a monster within I also see the one who God loved that he was willing to take my place on the cross and suffer the consequences of that monstrosity within. And therefore, I can boast in my weakness because it gives me an opportunity to point to the God who loves me and forgives me and gives me the power to change. When you understand that, then you find the willingness and the courage to openly acknowledge the things that right now you're pretending is not there, but yet deep down you know it is. And not only are you willing to face it, you're willing to share and ask for people around you that you do life with. Can you encourage me? Can you keep me accountable? Can you counsel me by reminding me of the gospel in this broken scenario that I'm in right now with this broken desire that I have? And then they start doing the same for you. And what do you know? 
You create a culture, you create a community that's not driven to cancel you, but to show compassion towards you and you to them. And now you create a community that's centered on the cross of Jesus Christ. And as a result, as a result of that encouragement, that accountability, that counseling, you actually start desiring those wicked desires less. You start doubting those weird doubts less. And your actions start matching up to the status that you have in light of God's love for you. You start becoming more holy. They're fortifying your proudness, your boastfulness in your actions, you see. This is how we become a community that is willing to bear one another's burdens and be honest with ourselves and stop hiding from one another by becoming a community that boasts in Christ in his response to all of the brokenness within. This is the kind of community that the world has no idea even exists and yet desperately wishes it does. So here's my question. Is this the kind of community that you will do your part in cultivating by having an open heart and an openness of bearing my burdens, each other's burdens, and to where we are willing to bear our burdens with you? This, my brothers and sisters, is what God has called us to do. And this is the hope that we bring to the world because of Jesus Christ. My hope and prayer is that we would take one step closer every passing day, week, month, and year of becoming that community. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we think about the things about us that we don't like about ourselves, the things about us that we are so afraid to reveal, The things about us that we lie to ourselves is not an issue. Father, we see the consequences of it, and we see the outcome and the tragedies that befall upon ourselves and those whom we love. And Lord, we need you to give us the courage to speak as your servant Paul did of boasting in our weakness, not because our weakness or anything to boast in, but because our weakness is the very thing that you've come to undermine and overcome through your forgiving and merciful love, giving us the status of children of God. Lord, we pray that as we live our life together as a family of God, that we will be a true family that doesn't put up on a facade or keep a shallow distance with one another, but that we can come together with openness, with genuineness, with honesty, so that not only can we be edified, (coughs) but that we can fulfill our mandate of showing hope to this world that needs you desperately. God, help us to live this out and give us the strength to do it and let it begin with us being aware and sensitized of your amazing, life-changing love in your son, Jesus Christ. For we pray all these things, these things in his name. Amen and amen. We're not